Many who are last will be first, and many who are first will be last. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Kindly be seated. I don't know if you've had the experience, but um, I've known the penetrating gaze of one person, you know, who like looks in your eyes and you know that they see all the way down into your soul and know your deepest, darkest secrets. I've experienced that gaze and I have to tell you, it was scary. The person who, the person who did this was, I knew that he was a, a manipulator and I knew that he, it was not safe being in the space with him. And so I sensed the need to end that relationship and to this day, I'm glad I did. Today, we have a different gaze from Jesus into the soul of a man. If it's not your custom to bring your Bible or if you forgot it, we are in Mark 10 and it's on page 35 of the New Testament in the, uh, in the Pew Bible. Here's what's extraordinary about Jesus. He has this conversation with this rich man who wants to know what he's got to do to, to gain eternal life. And Jesus talks to him about the commandments and the man says, well, I've done all that. And then it says, Jesus looked, and it literally it's looked in him and loved him. Jesus sees all the way into the secret places of the man's heart. And he doesn't jump back in fear. He doesn't come down with a, oh man. He loves him. Jesus doesn't manipulate. Instead, he gives room to reassess, to reevaluate, to recalculate. The biblical word for this is repentance. He gives the man a chance to rethink, reorient, to repent. Jesus speaks truth with all the love that's in his heart, and then he lets the man go. And in the end, I think, he holds out hope for him. Notice the wonderful way that today's passage ends. You know, sometimes the first are the last, like the disciples seem to be the last ones to get what this mission is all about. And sometimes the last are first. Maybe, just maybe, this man's initial no will prove to be yes when he has recalculated. Now, don't we all have places of resistance? For this man, he's learned not to steal. That's the, the third of the commandments that Jesus mentions to him. But he's not yet learned generosity. And Jesus opens a wonderful vista on what the commandments really are supposed to be about. 
The commandment says merely don't steal. <clears throat> but the life that the commandments are calling for is a life in which we share with others out of the abundance that comes to us. <clears throat> and twice Jesus acknowledges it's hard. It's hard to move from not merely taking to giving. Now, someone else may have learned you can't actually kill people. That's the first of the commandments that Jesus mentions here. But they may be holding so many grudges. I know there's nobody in this room. They may be holding so many grudges and resentments that they are quietly but slowly killing themselves at the same time, they're robbing their neighbors and co-workers and family members of what could be a sparkling personality, full of wit and wisdom. Once again, how hard it is. Jesus knows how hard it is to move from not merely killing to being a life-giving presence. That's what the commandments are calling for. Honor your father and your mother. <clears throat> Ooh. I know from personal experience that it's one thing to do your duty to your parents when they're in decline and increasingly needy, and it's another thing to love them through it. And my prayers for you who are in the midst of that challenge are, are strong and deep. Jesus gives this rich man space. And you know what? Sometimes that's what love does. Today's scriptures elsewhere, Job, Hebrews, the Psalm, offer a window into the kingdom that Jesus would have the rich man inhabit. Again, we all have different things that we would hold on to to keep God's life at arm's length. For me, what it was was less riches, although I got my own issues there. What it was for me was basically, has always been, who is in control of my story? I was raised to be a self-determining person. I was raised by a stubborn East Tennessean, and I was raised to be a Florida cracker, Tennessee, Florida cracker stubborn person. My way or the highway? I don't care if the sun is straight up. If it feels dark, it's dark. And the thing that I love about this book is that this book gives me a different way to tell my story. This book gives me a different story to step into and to define myself by it. And I love the pointers to that story that are in today's passages. This is the story that describes the treasure in heaven the eternal life that is on offer now. The book of Job. The book of Job anchors a trilogy of life in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes is a picture of hell. The book of Job is a picture of what 
life in this world is, suffering on the way to glory. And the, and the book of Song of Songs is a picture of heaven. God has come to wed us to himself. Ecclesiastes, a picture of hell. Life without God, Solomon realizes, is a living hell. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Solomon notes, wealth, women, smarts, success, it's all emptiness without God. And then there's, then there's Job, a picture of, a, a realistic picture of life on this earth. Life here is one of suffering. That's the message of chapters 1 and 2. And not all of that suffering is deserved. Some of it is a mystery of stuff going on in the unseen realm that we have no control over. No idea why it's coming at us. And when that stuff comes at us, we either do like Job's friends say, just, just suck it up, dude. Or we take a chance that there's somebody up there who will listen. Even when we list, lift a fist and say, where are you? You're not listening to me. I wish that you would come down here so I could defend myself before you. And it's almost like Job gets a hint of what's going to happen because of the psalm David sings in the midst of a deep trial. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My enemies surround me, and they're putting me to death. And yet that psalm, the rest of it we didn't read today, understands that on the far side of that suffering, there is deliverance. And David gets raised up from that hardship and says, I'm going to go to the assembly, and I'm going to praise your name, Father, and I'm going to lead the congregation in praise. And it's almost like Job has a hint that that is true for him because in the book of Job, after acknowledging the horror of what's happening to him and the unfairness of it, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and he is in heaven. And one day after my death, in my skin, I will see him and I will be okay. So life without God is a living hell Life with God can feel like hell, but it's headed towards heaven. And the Song of Songs says, yeah, we're going to get there. Song of Songs, it's a real love song from Solomon. And it's inserted wonderfully right into the middle of our Bible. And yet readers, Jewish and Christian alike, have known from day one that it's also a parable about the God who comes leaping the mountains and bounding the hills to win his bride, Israel, and the church, whom he will marry to himself forever. Song of Songs is a picture of heaven. I need that story. It reorients my whole life and makes me willing to let go of my definition of my story. It's a treasure that's greater than anything in life, which is why I love getting up at O Dark 30 and saying, Lord, what do you have for us today in the daily office? Let's go. That is the treasure that Jesus would have the rich man and you and me to know and to let it change us. And there's no small irony 
to Jesus' protesting to the rich man about God alone being good. You call me good? God alone is good. Well, what's happening in Mark's gospel is Jesus is slowly and progressively revealing to Mark that, well, he is God. Just as the rest of the New Testament clearly reveals, and as Hebrews especially crystallizes in last week's reading, when in chapter 1, the writer to the Hebrews tells us that, that Jesus is indeed the one who has come for us and who is worthy to do so because he is greater than the angels, fully God, fully invested with the authority to speak for God, to heal for God, and to forgive for God. And it's why also in last week's reading, as we went into chapter 2, the writer to the Hebrews describes the one who came for us as being not only fully God, but fully one of us, fully able to make us over because he's completely one of us and one with us. And then humbled in death, he now represents us. One of us is in heaven, fully glorified man, showing from there what it is to be loved by the Father what it is to lead in praise and prayer, and what it is to join us at the table. And then here in Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews assures us that if we read the Bible, the Bible will read us. It will expose the, the thoughts and the intentions of our deepest being, just like that gaze that Jesus addressed to the, to the rich man and it's a gaze always that comes with love. Opening us up because he loves us too much to leave us alone. Because when we read, and he reads us through this book, and we become the least bit aware of the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, some noble and good, some not so noble, not so good. Then he invites us to bring our hearts to God with all of our weaknesses, looking to the one, being accompanied by the one who was tempted with sin just like us in every way yet without sin, so that we may go confidently to the throne of grace, God's holy presence, and there receive mercy and find grace for timely help. That is the world that Jesus would invite the rich man to, so that he would have the freedom to let go of the stuff that's got hold of him. Now, I got stuff that holds on to me. You got stuff that holds on to you. And the invitation for all of us, even though it's hard, even though we may not be the first, as long as we're the last, somewhere in there we let go and take hold of that which is there to take hold of us. And I do think that that's the point of the odd ending. And the last will be first. The door is always open for the rich man to reverse course. Jesus lets him go his way to reflect on what his obedience to the commandments means. 
Now, if he truly has kept the commandments since his youth, especially the one about not stealing, he will have practiced presenting his first fruits and his tithes. He will not have been stealing from God. He will have been giving 10% of all that he gets in a year to the Lord, including over and above that, the extra poor tithe that people were called upon to give every third year. And what Jesus gives him space for is coming to understand that those offerings are intended to be symbols of the offering of his whole self and gratitude for belonging to the God of this story, the God who delivers from slavery with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, who is not content to let us live in, to walk out a living hell now in anticipation of an eternal hell, who will be with us in the midst of all suffering and who has come leaping the mountains and bounding the hills because he loves us. He loves you and he loves me. And it so happens that this text comes up at about the time that churches do their stewardship campaign. So this is the time in which we would, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, ask ourselves, each of us, to think about our possessions, whether they possess us or whether we possess them and how we may use them to build treasures in heaven. Who knows what happens to this man? Who knows what happens to any one of us when he or when we ponder the one who has called good, the one who is good, and realizing that this rich man has said more than he could possibly understand when he calls Jesus good. For he will stretch out his arms on the cruel wood of the cross in purchase of freedom from slavery to sin including slavery to possessions. Well, what about you and me? When we sense the gaze of the one who looks all the way in, what, what, about, what about us and our possessions? Sell your belongings and give to the poor and follow me means in principle the same thing for all of us. Listen to what Clement of Alexandria said back in the beginning of the third century. This is the first sermon that we have a record of and it's about this passage and Clement realizes that there are a lot of people who could give everything up but they would still be possessed by the desire for possessions so he says look what Jesus has to be talking about is our surrendering not our possessions themselves but our passion for possessions it is no great gain Clement says to be poor in possessions but rich in passions Follow me, Jesus says, not just to select Galilean fishermen and tax collectors, but to all of us. What follow me looks like is abandonment from the heart of all of us. Um, the, the abandonment of all by all of us. For some, that abandonment means packing our bags and emptying our bank accounts. For others, for most of us, it means staying home and asking how I can contribute to the kingdom 
with symbols of my being. For some, it means moving to a monastery or a mission apartment or a manse. For others, it means remaining right where we are, having as though not having, and using as though not using up. Friends, to him who is able, to him who is really able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Amen.